Hello and welcome to What About The Music, a podcast brought to you by So Stereo. This week's guest is Tanya Lessia. With 20 plus years of production experience, Tanya Lessia is working at the intersection of culture, marketing, creativity, technology and media. Tanya is currently the head of production of Matezik Hoffer and has worked for brands like Sonos, Audi, Staples and many others. So let's tune in to this week's episode with your host, Beto Azut. Hey, Tanya. How's it going? Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, we're here to talk music and advertising, so I appreciate your time, Tanya. Obviously, you have a lot of experience uh, in, in the ad world and, and working with music as well. Uh, would love to just know more about how you got started in the world of advertising. Uh, what led you to pursue a career in advertising? Sure. Um when I was in high school, my high school art teacher, so I grew up in Long Island, uh, you know, so a suburb of New York and, and both my parents are, are from, my mom grew up in Brooklyn and my dad grew up in Harlem. And but so my high school art teacher took us to MTV and she took us to a recording uh, studio. We met Daryl Hannah and she was recording some voiceover just randomly. And she took us to an animation studio So, you know, I, that trip, I was like, I want to do all those things. I want to be, I want to be making all those things. And at the time, I didn't, when I put it all together, it's like, it was how to make really cool content, interstitials, whether that was advertising, whether it's music video. I was like, I didn't know how I was going to get into it, but I was like, I knew I want to be in that in some way, shape or form. And that's sort of kind of informed sort of the rest of my sort of high school and going into college and then, you know, getting into San Francisco. And, you know, I just kind of worked my way up in San Francisco agencies and uh, which I've been, was really, really lucky. And, um, you know, I spent 10 years at Goodby Silverstein and Partners. And then I uh, moved down to LA and I became head of production at uh, Saatchi LA and then became chief production officer for Saatchi, New York. Uh, and then I moved back to LA to take the chief production officer uh, job uh, at Shiat LA, working between LA and New York. And then I just moved back up to San Francisco to work for Mateza Koffer. Now we call ourselves MH, but now I live in LA again. I don't know. I got the bug when I was, you know, a teenager. I was like, I want to make stuff, you know? Yeah, I mean, that's the greatest feeling, just making something and, and being a part of something great. Yeah, I mean, obviously, music plays a big role. And I'm, I'm just curious, like, if you recall when you were, you know, when you got your you know, first couple of years in advertising, what was your experience with music like at the beginning? I'm just curious. And, and then kind of like, how has it evolved to now? What was your first interaction with music for advertising? You know, actually, one of my first, I was working uh, with this producer, I, I, my head of production, and um, I was working on a, a campaign with him. And so we went to kind of go to L.A. And at the time, there was a company called Ad Music, and they were in Burbank. And I remember it was, I think, it was one of the first places I ever visited as like a junior producer. And they had this amazing studio and all the doors were open and all the musicians were there. I mean, it was when you would do, would record music for your ads real time with people and then mix real time. I mean, I know that sounds, it's so, so old school, but amazing. It was like, it was amazing. Cause you're like, 
wow, I can say I we don't want that note here. And, you know, I mean, I know that sounds, but it, like it was a really, a, it was such a great collaborative process. I mean, obviously people had laid down, you know, the track was actually quite orchestral at the time and um, with some layers of other things. And um, it was just watching the process and, you know, seeing, I remember just being at like, you know, and then they had moved their studio closer to Santa Monica, but, you know, you know, I've done a a bunch of like amazing, amazing pieces of music with companies over the years. And just that experience of being with musicians when they're doing their thing, or even remotely hearing what's happening real time is a pretty magical moment that I don't think we get to experience. And unfortunately, our junior teams now today don't we don't really get the benefit of those sessions anymore. I mean, unless you're doing something really extra special, you know, uh, I mean, I, you know, I, I've, I've been at two, like Skywalker ranch, like at, you know, there was a moment where Skywalker ranch was doing commercial mixing and we did a couple of sessions up there and it's, it's mind blowing. I mean, the record studio has that effect, right? It, it just, it's a magical environment where, you know, people, people feel inspired. Right. So like a lot of times, you know, when you when you add creatives in their production teams a little bit there, the special things happen for sure. Speaking about music, you know, it has such a power and, and like people, people are always like talking about it. Right. And it's like, you know, the number one thing that you, first draws you to a spot. Right. A lot of times like you're always in your phone and then it makes you look up the TV or, uh, you know, in terms of like collaborating with creatives and with other producers, you know, what's what's the best thing? For you about music and the process behind it i love even before we pull in a music company or a supervisor or however we're you know however we're going to 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 do it or even with a director um you know i've been you know i've been lucky over the years you know there's certain directors that have relationships with with uh you know music folks who you're just like you wouldn't get access to um and you know just us just pulling our you know what what's our point of view um and at least start it's start there because if you don't put something on paper with to start to have the dialogue and the conversation then it's then all of a sudden you're it's you're just you're all over the place it's like it's like right and not having a script written you know in a weird way um and because here's the other thing, though, but being flexible enough to know that the second you can put pieces of music on something completely changes an edit. You know, you may concept something and be like, I want that song. Right. I mean, there's some things where you're like, OK, that song, it's borrowed interest. You know, we just did um, a piece. We did something for Staples and we, uh, you know, we licensed. Uh, I saw the sign. Right. And it's the, you know, this really great nineties track. And, um, we, you know, we shot with, uh, Joseph Kahn and did this really fun music video. And the whole thing was about making big signs. Like, so the concept, like we actually were like, we can't do this idea without this song. Cause the, like the, you know, the borrowed interest of the track was so integral to the idea. And in that collaboration process, like it was so obvious that that piece of music had to go with that thing. But there are certain projects, you know, early on where 
you know, the team comes together and pulls playlists and, you know, we have Spotify lists that people trade back and forth. And then we're doing that with the director. We're doing that with the editor. We're doing that with our music supervisors. Um, you know, we're a small agency, but, you know, I've worked in large agencies where we've had staff supervisors, um, you know, and, and every agency works a little bit differently about how they engage those folks. So. No, for sure. For sure. And, and but I like what you said. It's, I mean, the mindset of knowing that music can change everything. And so like one of the common denominators, one of the things that we've seen here, just talking with, you know, heads of production, um, you know, creative directors, right? People that are working every day. It's like the earlier you start, the better the results might be, right? So like, you know, start the conversation early. And even even if you're still, you know, in the pre-production phase, right? Even if you're still ideating, like, you know, start with music and start getting into it because it's 50% of the spot most probably. So like, you know, that's kind of been, you know, what what we've seen a lot is is people recommending everyone to start earlier and positive results will come. Totally. Otherwise, then it's an afterthought. There is a been a bit of a trend where I've had a couple of clients say, you know what, the, I like the music because it's generic enough. This, and I've heard this actually now from about three or four clients over the years recently. Um, and it's kind of, they're like, the music is generic enough so it doesn't get in the way. And I'm like, what? Like that that like breaks I'm like what it should get in the way I know and and like I, and we've had I want sometimes you get that comment you're like what or wait this music is too distinctive that it's getting in the way or it, like sometimes let's say it that way too and you're like is it the mix they're like you like the music but no but it's a good point because like it's a good point on it because like if you if you think about it like if you look at copywriting, like if you have an ad and the ad is going to say something, like what if you had that same thought process, but for copyright? Oh, let me just be generic with my words. That way, you know, like it wouldn't be, they wouldn't say that about, about copywriting, right? So. Yeah, no, it's, a, it's an upsetting comment when I hear it, when I've heard it now from a couple of different groups of folks. And I just, I'd like to change that and figure out how to change that up or how to educate or. And I don't know if that, you know, you know, here's the other challenge is that, you know, half the time our work is streaming on social platforms, you know, on Hulu, you know, you know, OTT and all of that. So are people even hearing our audio, you know, when you're sitting in the room and mixing, you know, I actually just recently, I, I was like, we're not, yes, during COVID, we were all mixing remotely, sitting in front, like what we're doing right now, sitting at home, you know, getting mixes and doing it over our computers and listening to them on our phones and, you know, the rest of it um, and iPads and all that and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But like, you know, I, you know, I wanted us to be, you know, in the room because the dialogue was really, was so heavy dialogue and it was, there was a lot of things going on and, you know, just having a good old fashioned mix, like in the room and being in a color session with a colorist and, you know, being there, like actually being there um, with, with the team. You know, even if we were remotely, you know what I mean? I, I don't know. I'm, and, you know, I think, look, we've, we've learned how to move fast and be nimble. 
because of COVID, but I also don't want to lose track of, you know, when you need to be in a place, you know, safely, of course, obviously. Um, but, you know, when if we can be in the rooms with the people we're mixing with and working with and, um, you know, doing a final mix, I want to make sure it sounds right on on a phone and on a computer. And, you know, that's where people are seeing our stuff. Yeah, and interacting with someone, right? Like you, you feel you feel their presence, like being in the same room with someone um, can make a big difference. Like, I mean, you feed off of each other, uh, especially when all these projects, like, you know, there's a lot of people involved. So like that could be, that could be crucial at times, right? So what you were saying before, you know, that's kind of like the reason why we started the podcast is because we were seeing, you know, that it's an afterthought. Oh, I have two days to ship my project and I have a stock track and uh, I need just whatever filler to get this out. Right. And so like, even though like in the last, you know, five years, we've seen, you know, brands and agencies really care more about music. You know, the reason why we started this is just to, you know, provide awareness, some education in the sense of like music can really make your spot and, and turn it into something memorable. Uh, and so like sharing uh, stories about why uh, and how it has, you know, contributed to that is, is key. Right. And so I know you, you have like a lot of campaigns, uh, where music played a big role. Um, you know, I, I'm interested to, to talk about the Sonos project. You know, because I think that's that's a good instance where, where music played a big role. Well, that one, the reason why, you know, that campaign, we talk about starting early. I mean, even as we were in creative development, we were definitely pulling music on music on music. Um, you know, obviously Sonos being an audio brand and, um, you know, music is obviously crucial. And, you know, in that case, we work actually worked with multiple music supervisors, which I don't always like to do because I think it can get messy personally. Um, you know, and I think it's I think as a, a as the agency and the producer, I think it's our we've got to be open. You know, I, I, I don't well, I'm I'm a real straight shooter. Like I, that's who I am, and if you know me, that's how I operate. I, there's no there's no flies on me. So you know, so I will always if I am going to engage with multiple you know music supervisors, you know we we have a very specific you know I tell the music companies and teams this is how who's who's doing it. I want to be fair to the people involved in the project and. Um, and, and, uh, you know, just a good partner to the people that I work with. Yeah. And, and, and a lot of times like you know, like I've, I've been a part of projects where, you know, from the vendor side, uh, you get pulled into a project, uh, but there's like 10 other vendors participating and it's, so it can, it can completely get out of hand and, and, you know, as the producer, uh, you know, evaluating the project and, and moving it forward, like, you know, you have so many submissions out of so many people that in a way can can stress uh, a lot of, I mean, a lot of the creators can be like, oh, there's so many options here. Like, you know, so like it, it can overwhelm people as well. Oh, totally. No, no. I I will only do that and I'll be really strategic about it. I really don't know. Doing the 10 person cluster nut of let's just everybody contribute lists is crazy. Like that's just... You know, I don't think that's a productive use of our time. Um, no, but that Sonos Rome uh, project that we did uh, about a year or so ago, um, 
uh, Michael Frick uh, was working with us and found this really great song called Moving by the High Grades, which this track is, you know, it just, it's this amazing amalgamation of style and it was one of those things when we heard that track we're like that's it it just kind of it you know because we went to you know you kind of sometimes you can sometimes go down I don't even want to say we went down usual routes because we you know we definitely went and listened to a lot of lot of lot of music at the time they actually the, the the Sonos team their music supervisor that normally would be involved in the process was in transition so, you know, we were really coming to the table and then collaborating with them and and bringing more things to them. Was it an, like when you first heard of the track uh, with the team, it was like, oh, this is it. Uh, and then and then my other question is, once you know that it was it uh, from a clearance standpoint, uh, getting the artist to buy in, getting, you know, the record label, the publisher to buy in. How is that process like? It was really fast when we heard it. It was definitely in that circle of like top five, top 10 um, that we just kept going back to, kept going, you know, you, and you kind of know when a track is you're honing in on it, when it just keeps kind of bubbling up. Right. You know, Nigerian rock is like such a unique sound that um, I mean, there's, I mean, the high grades, it just, it was, we were really, I mean, the, you know, the, the publisher and all the music rights were actually, it was pretty, really easy to navigate. You know, you, you know, you usually sometimes have those, those projects where getting the rights holders and it, it's a total nightmare. And that one, I, you know, was really, really, a really pretty easy. And I mean, I think, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that's one of the reasons why a lot of times I, I feel that producers and agencies you know they, they'd rather go with uh, custom and do something from scratch just because like from a rights perspective it's just easier sometimes and and I think both, like over the years in advertising it's more common to do kind of like an original composition but obviously you know you've seen more and more licensing because the power of artist music and what it can provide right but do you think that there's been a little bit of that it's like oh I don't want to go with an artist because like it'll be too time consuming to license or what if like it doesn't work for my budget. Let me just go with a composer that I know that can kill, that can do a great job. Uh, and it's like the safer option. Does that, does that sometimes happen? No, you know what? I, now we, every, we always like to make it really hard on ourselves. <laughs> no, I think it's what is right for the project. I mean, to be honest, what is right for the project and that will always, that's my mantra. And even if it's the hardest route, it, that's okay. In that instance, it was, you know, we went, we did listen to a lot of tracks, but, you know, it was so worth it to kind of get that track um, and just, you know, a style of music that people just aren't, you know, it just something that was not very unexpected, just, you know, and sharing something out that people haven't maybe heard in a long time and um, being able to kind of introduce that. So, but uh, no, I'm not going to, I don't think we've ever, ever said, let's just do custom because it's easier or let's just do this. No, we like to do things the hard way. No, no, no. Of course. I mean, listen, there's, at the end of the day, there's, there's great production libraries out there, right? There's great original custom houses out there. There's great independent artist music companies out there. 
and there's like amazing record labels with like super prestige catalogs, right? So like there's, I mean, there's super talented people all across the board, right? Uh, so it's like what you say, it's like, what is right for this project? Yeah, I mean, another one that was like amazing campaign and, and, and piece of work that was Runaway Train. You know, that was that was amazing. Can we talk a little bit about that one? So runawaytrain25.com. Um, the project, yeah, that's... I. That one I hold really near and dear to my heart just because uh, we collaborate and we still actually work with the National Center for uh, Exploited Children. And um, it was the 25th anniversary of the Runaway Train music video. And so I'm just going to take us back in the way back machine a little bit. So in the 90s, uh, Tony Kay made a video for Runaway Train. And part of the idea of the video was that he put in images of missing kids um, and they would manually update that video um, every month, every couple of months over the years. And over a 10 year period, the they were successful in being able to find some of those missing children um, because they saw themselves on MTV. So it, it was, you know, it was a, essentially the, it was the milk carton of the, the, of the eighties, you know, the, the, you know, like the missing kids milk, the back of the milk carton was that idea of that video. So, you know, for the 25th anniversary of, of that video, what we wanted to do was make it, bring it to the modern age and, and make it um, GPS and, and technology enabled so that if you were served up that video, you would be so you're we're tied into the data the NICMIC database, which is tied into the FBI database, and it's updated hourly. So when when videos are rendered on the website, and so if I'm sitting, if you're sitting in New York and I'm sitting in LA, uh, we are getting served up different kids that are missing in there in the area. And the strategy was um, when kids go missing, they they are more often found in the state that they go missing from. So figuring out a way to be able to get images up more rapidly and be able to make them more geo-targeted, you know, seemed to be, uh, make sense. And then, you know, from there, you know, we partnered with other partners and made it, you know, so that, you know, we could scale this, you know, like gas station TV and things like that. It, it was it was a, it was a two and a half year project. I mean, because we had to basically get unlimited rights for the music. Um, whoever, whatever artist we got to sing on the track, basically had to sign any rights away and get no royalties or anything like that. Like it was a it was a very complicated deal. And 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 then onto even with it running on in on the internet. Um, with all of uh you know all the anti-piracy things we had to do some special behind the scenes on the back end because sometimes tracks that are because like you know that music video is like two and a half minutes we actually made it a shorter version of the song everybody was focused on the end goal which is helping to find kids and you know i'm proud to say that at this point we've probably brought help to bring more kids and more tips you know we're probably at the 100 100 kid child mark at this point you know now since the program launched in 20 yeah i mean i i read the article just like by just by bringing one child alone that's a success 
right? So like the fact that it's it's helped so many, like it's amazing. I mean, the first week when it when we launched, uh, it ran on I think NBC, and one of the runaways saw herself on TV, and it was like, "Oh my God, people are seeing me!" You know, like they she happened to see it on a news segment. Um, you know, it's the same thing like on gas station TV, like we run 15 second versions of the track with the music and, and the kids. And we've gotten so many like tips. That's just amazing to hear. I mean, there's so many up and coming producers, so many junior producers that are on the rise. What advice would you give them in terms of working with music and how best to approach that? I, I mean, look, I mean, here's, I'm such a geek, but. You know, I'm a production geek. Like, just anybody knows me. I'm a to- look. If I could be like a secret DJ, but not have to be up to like two in the morning, like at a club, like I would totally DJ. <laughs> like, I just, you know what? It's and we all the thing the thing about music is that it's so subjective, right? So I think our role as producers is to help enable the conversation, right? And get be able to narrow down the brief and i like really kind of call bullshit on your creative teams and i will say this call bullshit when the brief is broad because that's not going to do anybody any good and it's like pull examples of what you're talking about if the brief is broad then it's like no no this is a lazy brief and you know you and even as a young producer I don't care, like you've been in this business a year, five years, 10 years, 20 years. You you as the producer are empowered to go say to your, your creative team, what do you mean by this? Show me some examples. Hey, I'm thinking this. What are you thinking? And because really we're, we all learn by visualizing and hearing and seeing and giving each other stimuli. And that's, that's how we communicate in this business. That's why we do, you know, treatments. For director treatments, that's you know, like why why not do an audio treatment? And I mean, I mean that's so so right on because like the more the more specific a brief is, the easier it is for us vendors and you know companies out there that are providing music, you know, to nail it, uh, to be on brief and to hone in on the right sound. So it, it just trickles down. What you just said, it's so key. It just trickles down. But hold your team accountable because and 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 it's. Frankly, it's everything on the project, but like music, especially like, cause that can get really lost in the shuffle and, um, and people you're right. I mean, I think we can get at the end of the project, we're dying cause you just ran a marathon to get the idea sold, to get the thing shot. You're in edit and you're like, Oh my God, <laughs> I'm like limping across the, the, the finish line. How are we going to get this? <laughs> so it's like, but we've got to, you know, diligence, you know, and just as we're, and so we're, yeah, because like the right track just changes everything. And it's like the best feeling sitting in an edit and like seeing a piece of music change the vibe of something. Yeah, no, that's, that's amazing. That's amazing. Uh, one last question for you. What, what type of music have you been listening to lately uh, that you've been liking? I know that's a pretty tough question, but like, what's what's been on your on your like hobby playlist and just hanging around? I have been like really tapping into some like I don't know I I don't know yet like zero seven like I I'm I'm just looking at this like playlist I I like have 
And it's like, I'm like looking at this playlist that I just, because I, this is, I was, this is what I was listening to this morning. I'm like, okay, I've got Holy Ghost. I've got um, Thievery, Thievery Corporation. I've got Poolside, Tame Impala. I've got uh, some Rufus Du Soul. I've got Lord. Uh, actually, I really do love that hurt. This is from like, was this last summer? Yeah, Solar Power. I know I really like the, the track. I really like Dua Lipa, like, you know, and then whatever I do like uh, from, I love Casio from Jungle. Then all of a sudden my playlist switches and I've got Paul Simon on there. I'm like, what, like, what, what, what's he doing there? Everything is acceptable because like everything makes you feel something and that's why everything is acceptable, right? Um, so, I mean, that's great for sure. Thanks for sharing, uh, you know, some of your go-tos recently. Um, but it's been an awesome conversation, Tanya. Thank you so much for, for the time. No, thank you for having me. This was really, really awesome and, and just really fun. And I mean, I, you know, as you can tell, I can't shut up about music and I just can't stop. Can't stop, won't stop. We need more Tanyas out there. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you for you No, know, This is a really great opportunity. So I really appreciate it. And, you know, I love what you guys are doing. So thanks.